Enough for me. All right. Uh, the only joke that we are going to tell this morning is the bait and switch that Luke made. You know, he was here for Sunday school. He roamed around here and he shook hands, gave y'all all that warm and comforting feeling that Justin was wearing a microphone. But here is Luke. Obviously, if Luke is here, he's not going to force Justin to preach. And then he went to work, which means y'all all had the opportunity to leave just like our senior pastor did. And you didn't. So for that, I am absolutely thankful that you're sticking around and all is well. That was it, honey. That's all the jokes. But I, she did tell me not to talk to myself, and I don't know how to not do that because I have a lot of things going on in my head at one time. <clears throat> it, it is a lot. We were, we, were, we were doing volleyball practice the other night, Tuesday night, and uh, I found the only way we either have to listen to worship music or we can turn on like 1980s classics. And there's nothing dirty about 80s classic music. You don't have to worry about what comes on. But then the rest of everybody else down there understood what, for Terry and I, is like a lot of things going on in your head at one time and trying to manage, you know, five things and the task at hand. I don't know how good we were at the task at hand, but the power ballads were amazing. <clears throat> so that, that is just something I want to tell you. In case you need to come to volleyball practice, we have 80s music and power ballads. All right. Here we go. All right, so this morning, uh, Luke gave me a good solid two weeks uh, heads up, so you should be content rich this morning, amen? amen. Thank you. I, knew, I, I got worried when Phil wasn't here and then he's here, so it's good. My amen corner when nobody needs to be. But I, I found all week long, I, I listened to him preach last week, and there was something that stuck with me that I personally wanted to stay in, and uh, like I tell you all the time, I love to tell God what I want to preach about, and he loves to wait till Saturday to tell me what I get to preach about. Um, and thankfully this week, he gave me a mix of the two, um, but I found very quickly that context was rough without understanding all of it. So I wanted to preach in Philippians 3, which I will get to when we get there here in a little bit, um, but there's a lot of context that goes with it, so I'm going to read. Um, but it was, the, it was the fight between religion and tradition that he talked about last week that I wholeheartedly believe that um, as we preach the word, as I teach the word on Wednesday nights, uh, we have to extrapolate what we're reading something from a long time ago. We love to talk about parables. We love to talk about things in there, and we have to figure out how to equate them to 2022. We have to figure out how to equate them to our own daily live now, because what happened here is nothing that's happening right now, but in a sense, it absolutely is. So it's written so that we can take it. So I wanted to be in Philippians 3. So I said, I've got to go back at least to a portion of Philippians 2 to give you the context. And then as I started reading through Philippians 2, um, I realized that there's still not enough context there because you really got to get to the beginning. So I'm not going to read the entire book of Philippians, although y'all would like that. Um, can you follow me? I mean, unless you got a Bible, let's start in Philippians 1 this morning. And uh, I had to drive back home this morning to get my glasses so I can make sure I look 41 for y'all. Um, but starting at verse 12, if you don't mind, in Philippians 1, I need to read this first two little pieces because we have to have the context at all of this passage to understand why and how and what they were receiving. So the book of Philippians, you know, is written by Paul to the church of Philippi, which he planted. He was there all as well, but now he's in jail, right? And we all understand that. We've read that 400 times, but we have to get the context of the excitement in here. And starting at 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, we have to pause for a minute. What has happened to him? He's in prison. 
And that's a weird thing to say because we wouldn't say today, I went to jail and it advanced the gospel. Like that's, it's just an abnormality, I think, which is why I think we have to read this out loud so we can get to the point in three that matters. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. I'm a visual reader, so I see all these cartoons in my head that's happening going on. But the advancement of the gospel is happening to the Roman guards in the jail that he is in. How dope is that, right? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. How amazing is that? Sorry for those of y'all got wide eyes. Um, It's great. Um, The advancement of the gospel in the Roman imperial guard that he's still in jail doing this. We got lots of prison ministries going on. It's good. Um, Let's see. And to tell the rest of that, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All that means is there's still people preaching the gospel that are more bold now to pick up where he left off. Um, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but other from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Favorite part. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We will read the word rejoice multiple times as we get. It's probably the point of chapter 3 when I get there here in a minute. But we have to understand the context at which this letter is being written by Paul to the church of Philippi, which he started. So he already understands the good people that are there. But there is lots of stuff that goes on throughout. But he is counting it joy to be in prison, right? That context has to be understood as he is writing this because that is a weird thing in that time. Going to prison is problematic. Nobody else is going to prison and the proclamation of the gospel or the gospel moving forward or the advancement. That's probably the best word for it. The advancement of the gospel is still happening. That, that's foreign substance. That, that's an abnormality. That's just not what was happening. You know, preaching the gospel was relatively new into here, but that's the context. So I thought that the, the pretext of... Chapter 3 needed to be 2 because it's where we need to do our heart, but I realized that we had to go all the way back to 1. So I read that portion in 1. Stephen, move over with me to 2, if you don't mind. Starting at verse 1. This was my pretext context to chapter 3 where we're going to land, but it says, So if there are any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is Paul still talking to the church, the church that already understands him. This is his letter back to them after understanding that they are doing a good job. There's just some weird stuff happening. Um, Somebody say amen. There's some weird stuff happening in the church today. So we're at least on the same playing field there that we can, you know, keep these texts running moderately close together. It says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also in the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by, be- by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So I thought for a moment, I started and I said, that has to be read out loud so we can grasp chapter 3. That had to be grasped out loud. We had to understand then much further that, you know, where Paul is at and how they're receiving the message to them from somebody that they trust and love as the one that spoke the actual true gospel to them. But he gives them very strict instructions and it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I find that to be the most hard piece of scripture to read out loud because I personally, and I'm hoping that there's at least three of y'all in here that are of that same thing. It is not easy to read that and know that you are upright with it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Deep down, when I don't think about it, I do everything that I do for my own glory and gain. That's why sometimes I tell the jokes that I tell. That's why I act the way that I do sometimes. And it's a humbling experience to read that everything that I do, it shouldn't be so that the glory comes back to me. Everything I do needs to be that the glory comes back to God. And this is the pretext, in my opinion, that has to be read before we get into chapter three, because if these people that he's talking to can't get to the point of doing what they do for God. So God gets the glory and it's for themselves. They are of the people that they talk to or talk about here as we move on. And and, and I find as a society, we love, and, and you listen to some of the stuff that Luke talked about last week and the, the tradition versus religion versus relationship versus understanding. We do a lot of things out of tradition. We do a lot of things just because my grandpa did, and we do a lot of things, maybe not because they're biblically centered, but we do them because that's just what we've always done. And we love to do things. Um, I, I love talking to teenagers, and I tell them this all the time, um, but I like talking to teenagers because I think starting in sixth grade through high school, they are in the most formidable years of their life. And everything that they do right now, as it stands, is for selfish gain. It's for, for, for positioning themselves to fit into a certain group set, and, and it's hard for them to have a good, full understanding of the gospel wholeheartedly to do things for the glory of God. Right now, they do things for the glory of Instagram. Face, well, I guess kids don't use Facebook. Um, that's not cool, but for the glory of Snapchat and all of those other sort of things. And so I, you have to, I'm sorry, Ty. Ty's like, I don't do any of those things. You are an anomaly. An, wow. <laughs> It was the glasses. You, sir, are an an anomaly. There's no English teachers in there, are they? Because I ruined that one. There are. I ruined that one twice. See me after class. My bad. The point remains, Paul tells them that you must do nothing from selfish ambition or selfish conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Um, Again, I will tell you out loud that I have a hard time putting others first. I think that's the fleshly nature, but it is not an excuse. And I have to read that charge all the time to realize that my life needs to be about others and not me. We should be pushing others forward, even at the loss of ourselves. That doesn't sound right. We need to be pushing people forward, even if we don't get any gain out of it. Does that make more sense? And that is the Christ following nature, because it goes in to talk about <clears throat> having mind 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That says Jesus was here, he was God, but he didn't use that platform for self-gain. Amen? And then Paul's telling us we have to be like that. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what he is telling him we should act as he goes on in this passage. I'm going to pause for a moment Um, because we should be about other people's business. We should be about helping other people and praying for other people. And uh, I'm going to give an an advertisement for worship music is so vastly important in my personal life, not because it just feeds my soul, but oftentimes it says things for me that I couldn't think to say. So I, I'm going to pause just because I don't like to do anything the normal way. While Sydney's going to play a song, and you probably never heard of it because it is that brand new, but she's going to play it through one time. And I just want you to read the words. I just want you to have a moment just to listen. Worship in your own way. Read the words, listen, but my understanding is I think this is an exclamation point to this piece of passage that says you need to be about somebody else, not about yourself. You need to humble yourself and serve somebody else. So I want you to read these words. Oh, that's got to be louder. I speak the name of Jesus over you. In your hurting, in your sorrow, I will ask my God to move. I speak the name because it's all that I can do. seek heaven and pray this for you. I pray for your healing, that circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a
circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. I pray that a for a minute. I'm going to do y'all a favor and we're going to jumpstart this chapter two of thinking of somebody else. As I sit there and I read through these words, I would like to take a moment. I would like you to take a moment to think of somebody. The first time I heard this song, it was really weird because I was like, wait, that has nothing to do with me and my conversation with God. That has everything to do with somebody comes to this particular lady that wrote it and she's praying for them. And oftentimes I've heard it 400 times. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Well, here's another advertisement for listening to worship music because here it starts in a prayer. I speak the name of Jesus over you in your hurting, in your sorrow. I will ask my God to move, showing you the, the persons. I, will ask, I know that my God moves. So I'm praying that now. It says, I speak the name. Why? Because <laughs> it's all that I can do. In desperation, I'll seek heaven. And I'll pray this for you. And it hits you in the gut. It says, I pray for your healing that circumstances would change. My favorite, I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus' name. So I'm not gonna sing this whole thing to you because she's gonna do it again here in a minute. Here's what I'm asking you this morning, and I don't know where this sermon's taking me, but I would like you to think of that person last that asked you to pray for them. I'm gonna give you a hot minute just to think of somebody in your life that you need to pray for because I promise you, if you're doing this thing like you should be doing this thing, there are people on your prayer list, amen? So I want you to pick one specific person this morning. We're going to sing that again. And you just read those words as a prayer, praying for that person. You say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. This song is phenomenal. You pray that out loud. You, you, you send me a text message this afternoon. I will send you the words to this song. So the next time somebody has it, you don't have to sing like Sydney can sing. You can read this out loud in a prayer and tell me that doesn't have power. Amen. Tell me it doesn't have power. Stand with me if you don't mind so it's not awkward. And I want you to think of that one person that's been on your prayer list. And I want you to insert their name in this prayer out loud. I speak the name of Jesus over you. In your hurting, in your sorrow, I will ask my God to move. I speak the it's all that I can do in desperation I'll seek heaven and pray this for you I pray for your healing that circumstances would change I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus name I pray that a break 
absolutely love good worship music. I love when I beg God to tell me what to say and he provides it. All right. Now let's get to the text we're going to preach on today. Amen? I looked at my watch so y'all didn't have to. I got 11 minutes. It is, it is, it is all good. You know what the, the joy of this scripture is, whatever it takes to get through Knowing this morning that you prayed for one specific person and you left them at the feet of Jesus is amazing because you will leave, you will take that with you, that will be stuck in your head and that's something that you may have not done this morning. So I am going to read, um, my. this is the passage that I decided that I, I wanted to be in that kept Paul talking about tradition or religion over just pure gospel. This is what tied me into some of the things that Luke talked about last week. Uh, Luke t- covers lots of stuff, and he is way smarter and way better than I am to get through a lot of things. But the thing that stuck out to me last week was tradition. So here we go in chapter 3, sir, if you're going to follow along or if you've got a Bible, all as well. Philippians 3, it says, Finally, my brothers, uh, 
if you underline in your Bible or anything, it says rejoice in the Lord. And I told you back in one, I I emphasize that and I read that because this is how he starts chapter three. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And some, some say it's a safeguard to you or it's safe to you. So he says, you are to rejoice in the Lord. And so he, I think that I break down this next couple of verses. There's a couple of problems that come up that he speaks, them, speaks to them to warn them of what's happening in that time. It is happening. He's got reports of it. So he is now writing about it. I feel like this exactly correlates to what is happening in the church today. So he starts out by saying, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord and rejoice is a good thing, right? Good enough, good enough. We're moving on. All right, starting in verse 2, I see the parallel of Luke talking about traditionalism and religion versus a relationship. I see legalism start to creep in here. So he says in verse 2, it says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. And if you read enough Bible, you will kind of chuckle there because, you know, Paul calling these people dogs. That's weird because the Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs. So it's kind of a jab back. So context is key in understanding the story. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worshiped who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself may have a reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So let's go back for a minute to the very beginning. That says It says, watch out for the dogs, right? So, so from a context perspective, um, Judaizers came after Paul. So Paul came and planted that church and he put them onto the true gospel, and that was good. But there was a fight going on then because, you know, the, the gospel making its way to the Gentiles was weird. Because uh, if you go back and read in Acts 1 through 7, the gospel was only going to the Jews. And then in, in Acts 8, the gospel starts to go to the Samaritans, which are half Jewish um, and half Gentile. And that started to, you know, be a weird time, right? Because they're like, wait, wait, those aren't Jews. You, you can't tell the gospel to them. They can't actually be Christians. So that got into a real gray matter area for a while that, that caused church division. No, you can't do that. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that we have those sort of conflicts today, but we do. Um, so in Acts 8, it started to the Samaritans and it started to be problematic. But then in Acts 10, the gospel started making its way to the Gentiles. And that became massively problematic uh, all the way to the point of, um, you know, because they wanted, they, they said Gentiles can't just go from Gentiles to Christian. Um, At the time they were saying Gentiles needed to go become Jewish and follow the Jewish law before they could become Christians. And that was the, that was the fight of the day. That's what all of this starts to talk about. And it was all the way in Acts 15 that came to the point where they said, no, that's not actually true. You can go straight from being a Gentile to being a Christian. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Because that affects us. Just say, I mean, unless you're Jewish and I just don't know about it. You know what I'm saying? All right. But in Acts 15, it, it set Paul free to not have to worry about speaking that other way. He could preach Jesus plus nothing else, right? And I believe wholeheartedly in society today, um, by and large, and I would use flying air quotes, but I don't want to unholster them, but by and large, the church today, the two of you are laughing at that, I like it. The, the church today that claims Christ as Christians on a checkbox, whether it's wherever, um, that is a very watered down word by and large. Amen. 
A lot of people write, I am a Christian, but it's just the reality of the scripture says that doesn't flesh out to be a true statement. But it's the easiest thing to write, and that's kind of what society would want me to write. It's better than anything else, so they write it. The problem is, is I believe society today is a Jesus plus. Yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z. And so Paul is warning of these Judaizers, right? So as he's flowing into chapter 3, he's warning them of these Judaizers, and it made sense to them because after Paul left and planted the church and put them on the true gospel the way that it is supposed to be and understand Jesus plus nothing is salvation, Jesus plus nothing is salvation, these Judaizers come back through, and they have the... They have the desire to say, well, Paul's gospel is right, but. And anytime somebody adds in but, anytime somebody adds but to this, anytime somebody gives you more to this, anytime there is something more to the gospel that is not in the gospel, it becomes like the Judaizers. The Judaizers are saying, Paul's gospel is right, and I know that they said that you can go from a Gentile to a Christian, but you really should follow the law, the Jewish law, and then become a Christian. That's the right path. So all these people are preaching. Well, the problem is, is that it goes against everything that Jesus died for. That goes against all of the fulfillment of the law, but these guys were loud and proud about it, and this is what Paul is warning them about. And Paul gives his own uh, credentials in this, because it, it says, it says um, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Does anybody know what that means? What? Circumcision, thank you. Yes, it's gross to say out loud, but you have to understand what's happening here and what showed the signs of them becoming Jewish. And that was something that you had to do. And that's what the Judaizers are saying. You've got to do that. So it says, look out for the evildoers who do, who, wow. My watch popped up and Siri's trying to text that to somebody. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but they were, they were about to get a text message that says, watch out for the Judaizers. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then it, it, this proclamation is great. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And my favorite, it says, and put no confidence in the flesh. We should not put any confidence in the flesh. And that is a perfectly good point for the amen from everybody. So I'll read it again because it's important. It says, it says, we are the circumcision. Our hearts have been peeled back. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Yes, I like it. I can't even stay on my notes because I like it so much. I'm on a different page. So this is the legalism that he starts to talk about. He says that's the substituting rules for the relationships that says I'm going to be right by God by what I do, but not just in salvation alone. And we know that anything you add to salvation alone by faith is Jesus plus. And we should stand wholeheartedly against fighting that as loud as we possibly can at any entity of the day. But when I read 
the book of Philippians and I say, how, how can this be Paul talking to the church in Pinch or Elkview or whatever this is considered over here from a mailing address standpoint, when, when Paul is talking to the church today that we are all sitting at this morning, how do we put that into practice? So are there Judaizers today living in this world? Absolutely. Everywhere you go, somebody does things a little bit different and they don't start with the message of the gospel. They throw it in and they sprinkle it in, but they got all kinds of, well, we do it this way. We do it that way. You got to do this Jesus doesn't say any of that. So this is Paul warning the church that you need to have no confidence in the flesh and, and we, we, you know, we have to be there in that. So it says, uh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love that. But I had to read that like 37 and a half times over the past week to really get the context because I didn't do great in school and there's periods in the right place. But I think that it's moderately cheeky what he's saying right there. He says, though I myself, right after it says, we and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's weird, right? So he's telling them, have no confidence in the flesh, but says, I have confidence in the flesh. If you think you've got confidence in the flesh, I have more. But he goes on to quantify why he has confidence in the flesh. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, like he's laying it out. He is as cool as it gets. He is as high society as it comes. Like he lives up in, any of y'all live in South Hills? He lives up in South Hills, rolling on, what do they call it, snob knob or something? I heard that one time. Can't say that. <clears throat> My bad. So, but Paul is saying, I was that guy, right? He says, though I myself have reason, he said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. We all know Paul's past as Saul and his conversion experience. So he's putting all of this out and it says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So we talk about all of chapter two that we, not, we don't need to be self-righteous, proclamation of our own. We need to be working on other people and helping other people far greater than ourselves. He says, and of righteousness under the law, I am blameless. And then we break out into, it says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. So he says of all of those qualifications, if we were, if we were talking about spiritual readiness and doing things under the law and you say you are good at it, I'm better. And he gave all those qualifications that proved that to be true. Every ounce of what he said is truthful. He is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He has been there, done that. He has the t-shirt. He has the pictures to prove it. Like he's been there, done that. And then, and then he goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That is a dirty, dirty word scripturally. Uh, I, 
I, I, I looked it up, and we went through things, and I don't know how to really say scubula out loud, but I could put it up there if you want. But the word for rubbish that they came from is the word scubula, which is dirty, and it means dung. It's the thing you throw out to dogs. It's dung. It's the grossest kind. It's actually the, the, the harsh word for dung in scriptural times. So when he uses the term rubbish, that's bad, right? And he says, I count all of that loss... I count all of that gain as a loss for knowing Christ. And I believe that if I'm going to read that through from beginning to end and try to figure out what he's telling me is all of that self-righteousness, all of those things that I did, all of the being right in the law, none of it matters as opposed to knowing Christ and being known by Christ. Thank you. That's the point that he gets to. He says, don't let those Judaizers try to convince you of something that I never told you about. Don't let them try to add something to Jesus. So in 2022, how are we taking away from this is we can't let something else get added to the proclamation of the gospel. Still, my favorite fanboy moment of Luke is, and he's not here to listen, he's not listening to the live stream probably, but my favorite thing about Heritage Baptist Church that was weird to me when I first started is that he is wholeheartedly about building disciples for Christ as opposed to a salvation message every week. Neither is right nor wrong, but it works for us. Why? Because we have a society that adds so many things to the gospel that is what will tell you you are right by God. And Luke is not about any of that life. Luke is about dispelling all of that so that we leave here every week understanding that it is about our relationship with Christ and our humble humility and service moving forward. Amen? Props to Luke. He's, he'll listen to this later. All right, let's see. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And I am trying something new here like Luke does to cover a lot of topic through the word, and I get lost in it myself. So we're going to land this plane right here because I have notes, and I don't even know where I'm at on them. Um, But I found that my last note started with um, the three things that I saw in there, but this last one is spiritual complacency. Uh, what do I do with knowing all of this stuff? I know, you know, God is real, life is good, I'm saved. How, how do I, so what do I do? Um, I, I wrote that we should be satisfied with what we have, but never satisfied with what we have done for the glory of God. It's probably good enough to write down if you want. I'll repeat it. <clears throat> we, th- I wrote this one for myself because I am not even remotely great at this. We should be satisfied with what we have, That could be an amen moment. Thank you. We should be satisfied with what we have, but never satisfied with what we have done for the glory of God. That that was good too. I have a problem with being satisfied with what I have because I like to have things and I think that I should. And it's rubbish. Rubbish. Because I have never... Luke said, honey, that's not the place for you to nod your head. Of, 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 Of all the things, he'd be like, yes, honey... That I, I absolutely, I, listen, sometimes it's not great to, to read through this all week long and go, you can't say that out loud because you are as guilty as the next. I am. I am no better than you. I am no 
I may be worse than you, but I have a problem with wanting more. Like Misty got a new couch the other day, and I, I want a new couch. <laughs> but I, but, but I got to be content with what I have. Listen, I ain't even going to lie. Like Luke talks about it all the time. I, I don't think we have ever really been hungry, thirsty. Say, yeah, say amen to that because, you know, the legitimacy of that is we have no, like God has blessed me greatly. I have well more than I would ever need, but I continue to want more when I should do more with what I actually have. I should waste less. But, but we should never, I'm going to get off that one because that's going to, I wear steel toe boots for a reason in case y'all start hurting my feelings. Uh, But we should never be satisfied with what we have done for the glory of God. So we should never be complacent in what we are doing that glorifies God. Amen? Amen. All right, and the last note, and I'm going to land this here in a minute. It says, if you're not dead, you're not done. That's good. I don't care who you are. That's good. If you're, that could be a bumper sticker on the underneath of an HBC sign that says, if you're not dead, you're not done. And how did Paul say that? So let's not have Justin's words here. Let's have Paul's words. And it goes into verse 12. You can put that up there because it's good. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I what? Yes, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Say amen if Christ Jesus has made you his own. So Paul says we got to continue to press on no matter what else is happening. All that stuff that you hear and understand, we have to press on because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I think that is amazing. I think that every ounce of that parallels into the church today. Man, I cannot see when I take those off. I had a point that I wanted to preach and, and, uh, and an illustration that doesn't fit well enough, but my end to this, my absolute end to this understanding is how do we do all of that? Well, we do all of that and get out of our own self-righteousness is by staying in the presence of God. Uh, I already forced you to understand how I like to stay in the presence of God, and that's good music. There's a lot of good music on the radio. I ain't even going to lie. And there's a zero judgment if you turn on something other than worship music. It is what it is. I listen to a lot of worship music because I want to bring you a lot of new worship music because I think it's amazing. So I think that's one way that I stay in the presence of God, but it needs to be near and dear. So, so let me, oh, oh yeah, Scott, I'm going to come back here. The camera can't see you. Don't worry. So I got an illustration for you, and I am going to be your problems in life. And from your perspective today, where you sit, I want you to look at that cross up there, and I want you to think of that cross as Jesus. From your perspective, which one is bigger? Oh, you wanted to play? My bad. You are. Why? Because you're my problem. I am your problem. Nice, nice. All right, all right. So, so oh, I'm going to get mad flack for this. My bad. Am I supposed to? I'm just... All right, Stanley, I need your help. Come stand right here, sir. Just hold, hold, just, you can sit right there and just hold that up for a minute because I, I got to go, go back up here for a minute. And if we're looking at a perspective perception, now I'm going to flip the script for a minute and now you've got Jesus right there beside you and how big is it compared to me? I see what you did there. I see, I see what you did there. We're, we're going to land this plane if y'all want to get started here in a minute. 
The point is, the rest of us can see it. If you stay closer to your God in your fellowship, then your problems that seem big, sometimes we like to stay a whole lot closer to our problems and think they are bigger than our God or bigger than the Jesus that we know that lives inside of us. Oh, that one doesn't know about me. I understand. My kids are the same way. That's enough of that. But y'all got the point, didn't you? Good enough for me. I'm not going to put this back up because it'll fall, but I will in a minute. It'll be crooked if I do it. Just try. Oh. I know. See, this is why my house is halfway done. Nice. Beautiful. So I have officially landed the plane. You have got the point. You have got the understanding. But this week as we go on, we have multiple charges moving forward. Amen? We have to get rid of self-righteousness, and we need to start thinking about other people. We did that in an exercise with that last song. Think about how to humble yourself for other people's gain. Then we got through to understand that the Judaizers came after the gospel. I am going to say the vast majority of you here understand and are blood-bought, born-again believers in Jesus Christ and are saved and on your way to heaven. You get surrounded day in and day out by Judaizers of today. People that claim they are Christians, but they want to add something that you are doing or not doing to the Christ that you know lives inside of you. They got to go. They got to go. And the reason and, the, and the, the, the way that they can do that is to press on and keep Christ in your presence more often. You pick how you're going to do it. I can't live for you. I, I have my own stuff to deal with to get to that end goal. I, I have my own things to do. You have to decide what keeps you in the presence of God, whether that's your reading time early, late, never, whatever. It's yours. It's not mine. But you've got to stay in the presence of God because I promise when those Judaizers come or when those problems come or when those people come to you that need you because they know you're a Christian, if you maintain in the presence of God, you have what they need. You don't have your own stuff stuck in between there. Amen? Amen.